Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Everybody and welcome to Fruit Loops Season Two, Episode Twenty. Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we do not hear or know much about. Now, contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white dudes. What? <laughs> there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist, allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294 and we may feature it on a future episode. 
Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. Or if you can't help monetarily, no big deal. You can always give us a five-star review on iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And again, be sure to share this show with your friends. So who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about the DC Snipers, who are John Mm -hmm. Allen Muhammad, aged 41 at the time, and Mm -hmm. Lee Boyd Malvo, aged 17 at the time. Their crime spree began in February 2002 and included murders and robberies in the states of Alabama, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Texas, and Washington. In 10 months, the snipers killed 17 people and wounded 10 others. And this topic was suggested by Maggie and Rico on Facebook, and also our boy Big Slim 22 on Instagram. Hey, hip hop air horns, you guys. Because this was, yeah, this was a good suggestion. So, um, yeah. We wanted to mention that we believe that in order to do this subject justice, we have to break this into two parts. So we'll record part one this week and then part two next week. Also, there are so many crimes and so many details in this case. So we also want to stick to the meat and potatoes without boring the shit out of you. So we will not cover every single tiny detail. Um, We just don't think it's fair to you. But if you're listening to this and you think there's anything important that you feel we left out, um, you know where to find us. Yeah. Yeah. So how you doing? Oh, well, this week has been kind of depressing. What with the uh, college admissions bribery scandal and the shooting in New Zealand, Mm -hmm. neither Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. which surprised me, unfortunately, which is probably why it's so depressing. (laughs) Oh, boy. But the good fight is back on CBS All Access with their third season. So that's good. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to Game of Thrones coming back uh, next month. Yes, Lord. With their last season. So I've been rewatching season six and seven to refresh my memory. And I I just love the parts with the dragons. (laughs) Oh, my God. Me, too. Me, too. I need me a dragon. (laughs) (laughs) How wonderful would it be? to (laughs) wreak havoc on all those who are out here committing some fuckery who couldn't who deserve some fire on them yes yes you know what and uh speaking of other really cool shows um i just finished watching the walking dead and Uh have you watched it yet oh i don't want to not yeah they're not i i don't think i've seen the last two episodes so don't don't okay i one thing I, I feel like without spoiling it, I can say, don't mess with Michonne and don't mess no. with a mom who's trying to protect her kids. That's yeah. all you need to know about these yep. these <laughs> last two episodes on The Walking Dead. Oh, my God. I feel all so right. good watching it. Um, this weekend was good. It was a regular weekend. Lots of we did playgrounds. We did picnics and whatnot. Um, I we ate at Chick-fil-A. 
and my my oh. husband and I we have not eaten there oh. in eleven years. I know, I know. But they built there. They are building up this South Phoenix area, and they inserted a Chick Fil A lines lines for days. All the lines out the wow. street from the drive through, lines out the door from the the inside part. It's so popular. Um, and I recall when we ate there for the first time eleven years ago, it was disgusting. Um, yeah, and then and I after never that, liked it. Yeah, we we found out that they are hardcore anti-gay and donate mm-hmm. so much money to anti-LGBTQ um, organizations, pray a gay, pray away the gay organizations, um, and but but even some of my liberal friends, liberal people that I follow on online and stuff love it they fucks with it so hard (laughs) saying it's so delicious and my kids have been dying to go right so me and my husband we were like scratching our heads trying to figure out why everybody loves this trash ass organization and their trash ass food um i mean literally it will take you 30 minutes to get through the goddamn drive-thru like that's shit I, i i don't understand what's going on so we went in First of all, the service is outstanding. When is the last time someone told you to have a lovely day? Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> I, it was when I ate at Chick-fil-A this weekend. Uh, and I don't know if they've like changed their their uh, recipes or whatever, but the food is really fucking delicious. I mean, they have a cute little indoor playground, which... I, I mean, if if you're a mom and you're trying to like do something with your kids and like eat out without having people applaud when you leave the restaurant because your mm-hmm. kids are so loud and obnoxious, you're like, oh God, a play place is great. The activist yeah. in me is like wildly ashamed that I ate there. <laughs> but like the mom in me, the mom in me is like, that was pretty fucking dope. So the kid, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I still hate Chick-fil-A. I hate what they stand for. I don't even think they give, um, for in terms of their health insurance, like they provide an option for birth control for their employees. Like they, they are so yeah, I problematic. Think they're one of those. Yeah. So problematic, but Cully, I have two wild ass kids who love chicken <laughs> tenders, and the food was good. And my my kids fell asleep on the ride home, so it was like a godsend. So I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to do with Chick Fil A anymore yeah, in my heart or yeah, mind. So anyway, there's always those problems. <laughs> yeah, very problematic, but. I do have to say they have a play place moms who work. (laughs) It's a good place to get dinner and get your kids tired. Um, But uh, don't, don't support them for all the other bad reasons. (laughs) Anyway. um, So now we are going to get into some listener. uh, By the way, do you fuck with Chick-fil-A? I don't. I I refuse to go there. I I do too. I mean, there's a lot of places that that my kids are like, I want to go here. And I'm like, we can't eat at Papa John's. They're racist. Or yeah, like, we shouldn't yeah. go to Starbucks. They're racist. You know, like, so there's a lot of places <laughs> that we're restricting ourselves from going to, or, you know, we, we haven't been watching, we haven't watched football. Like we're trying to actively like boycott and protest and show that our dollars mean something and, and people sh- and companies should stand behind, um, you know, companies that do good and treat people well. Yes. And Chick-fil-A is one of those 
companies. They, but they anyway, gotcha. I'm just digging myself into they a deeper hole. They got me. So anyway, <laughs> let's just dive in. Let's just dive into these listener okay. letters, shall we? Where's the, where's the angels? We need some angels to <laughs> take away the Chick Fil A. <sighs> I feel I feel better. Thank you, now. angels. <clears throat> I do too. Thank you, angels. Okay. <laughs> Um, so we got a very lovely email from Khadija. Um, by the way, also my favorite character on the 1990s Black People Prime Time hit, Living Single. Did you watch that with uh, Queen Latifah? I didn't. Oh, boy. I think, You're missing out. I think it was probably the time when I didn't watch a whole lot of TV when my kids were little. Oh, well, there was this period in the 90s where there was some fire-ass Black shows. Martin... Uh, there was, uh, what's that one? It was like a sketch show. Oh gosh. Uh, living color in living color and yes. And living single and, and woo, I would not miss an episode. Uh, so anyway, Khadija, I love you. Um, but she said, hello, dear ladies of Fruit Loops. Thank you for making me proud to be a Podbean patron. Oh my gosh. Thank you by the way for being (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for being a patron of ours. Stay tuned because we're about to drop our, our bonus episode for our patrons. So anyway, uh, it took forever. Sorry. Working. It took forever. So sorry. sorry. <laughs> uh, forgive us. Uh, your, your two part episode of the dating game killer were awesome. Sorry that the following is an essay, but I had a lot of feelings. So here she goes as a woman in the Boston area. It meant a lot to me that you'd mention the current case of Jassy Korea on your podcast and that you'd plug the GoFundMe page. If I'm not mistaken, she was a member of Boston Cape Verdine community. FYI, she said she's not a member, uh, which has been victimized by authorities and the general population of Boston racists as being thugs, drug dealers, gang members, etc. Now, um, uh, welcome to Culture Corner with Wendy and Beth. Uh, Boston has a a pretty racist history. Just just Google video news reactions of the um, people who were uh, furious when the the authorities forced them to have to segregate their schools. I mean, the things these people said on TV. Whoa. Anyway, uh, she goes on to say it surprised many people that her case even made the news and many WOCs or women of color like me wonder if it's because there are three states involved in the investigation. The victim was from Massachusetts. The murder may have occurred in Massachusetts. The accused lives in uh, and drove into Boston from Rhode Island and her body was found in his car in Delaware. We know that many such crimes must be swept under the rug, but I'm glad that the word is forced or the world is forced to hear Jassy's story. Good. Um, she also goes on to say, and uh, other women of color, WCs, I've talked to about this horrible tragedy, realized that a huge reason that Jassy could, we can't assume, have been a victim is because of the expectations that men have on women in society, specifically at a club. I'm so glad she brought this point up. It's like, if she's at the club, then she must want sex. If she flirts with a dude, it's almost like she must be willing to go home with him or she's looked at negatively, like she's a tease. And if she and her friends try to make a pact to go together and leave together, her friends are seen as just by men as cock blockers. Men need to change 
I don't think men want to accept that as long as they make it difficult for women to say no, they are putting women like Jassy at risk. They need to help themselves and each other rid this toxic idea that women at the club are there purely for men's enjoyment. What if Jassy thought, hey, whatever, he's cute and denied any weird feeling she had because she didn't want to be a prude. Well, if that's the case, that's, that's awful. Um, so to sum it up, uh, she said, a safety tip I have is to encourage men to cool it at the club, amen, and act less shitty when a woman doesn't want to go home with them, uh, to create a culture that doesn't allow for men to take advantage of women. Men need to talk to each other and call each other out. The time is now, she says. Yeah. All right, ladies, I I'm agree. done. I promise. Thank you so much. I love you both. Keep being amazing. XOXO Khadija. So thank you, Miss Khadija, for the That's beautiful, beautiful, awesome. wonderful email. Yeah. Yes. Awesome email. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. So what do you got, Beth? Um, I just wanted to let our new patrons know that... We ran out of stickers. <laughs> what a blessing, though, right? Uh, I mean, what a blessing to have run out that people oh, want. Yeah, them. yeah. That's dope. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have ordered some more, but I'm still waiting to get them. So uh, your packages uh, have been delayed. I do apologize. Yes, please forgive us. But they're coming and we love you. But they're coming. They'll, they'll get there. They'll get there. They'll get there. Um, so uh, before we get into our episode, we would like to say that this is a podcast about true crime and people of color. True crime is difficult to hear and talk about sometimes, and race can be the same way. But both are just part of the world that we live in. And we want this to be a safe space where we can have discussions about both. We are all learning all the time and hopefully trying to be our best sexy selves. Um, me and Beth may not get all the words right. And you at home listening may not get all the words right or say the most 2019 um, wokest terms. But at least we're trying. So, um, yeah, and that's that's OK. That's okay. We welcome our listeners to be a part of the conversation on Facebook or Twitter at Fruit Loops Pod or email us at fruitloopspod at gmail.com. Okay, so now we're going to take a quick break and get into the story when we come back. We would like to invite any listeners who have a business to advertise to do it with us. For more information, please email us at fruitloopspod at gmail.com or check out our website at fruitloopspod.com. All right, Beth. So who are we talking about again? Uh, today we're talking about the DC sniper attacks, Whoa. also known as the Beltway sniper attacks. And they were a series of coordinated shootings that occurred during three weeks in October mm -hmm. of 2002 in the states of Maryland and Virginia and the mm. District of Columbia. Ten people were killed and three others were critically wounded in the Baltimore, Washington metropolitan area and along Interstate 95 in Virginia. And um, we had mentioned more crimes earlier uh, in our intro, and that's mm -hmm. because there were some preliminary crimes as well. And I also wanted to say I was talking to my son about this case, and he said that gun people prefer to call uh, these these kinds of uh, criminals 
long mm-hmm. distance serial killers rather than snipers because sniper oh. is a professional title given with respect and they deserve none. Oh, shout out to Beth's son. Uh, he's <laughs> give he's given no no he's given us some some notes before in the past. I mean, like on guns and stuff. Right, right. I know I don't know shit, and I really I know appreciate nothing that he's about given guns. Us yeah, yeah. So I'm Just really grateful info. to your son. Let me. Yeah. I don't know if he listens to the show, but <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Beth's son. Thanks for the knowledge. Um, uh, and uh, the Fruit Loops fam uh, is is happy about that. So let's get into some stats. <laughs> oh, crrr. all right. So <clears throat> February to October in 2002 is when these crimes took place. The 17th, the D.C. snipers shot and killed 17 people across the country from Washington State to Arizona to Washington, D.C. The spree in the D.C. area lasted 23 days from October 2nd, 2002 to October 24th, 2002. Everyone who was killed was it was it one bullet. Everybody got one bullet. Um, Ten in the Beltway sniper attacks and seven in the preliminary shootings. Um, And they used a Bushmaster, I guess that's a type of a gun, and a rifle. Yep. Yep. So now we're going to get into the setting. Um, So take it away, Beth. Montgomery County in Washington, D.C. is a very affluent county in the DMV, which is D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, with very little crime. Obviously, D.C. is our nation's capital, and Alexander Hamilton convinced Washington. had a torrid affair, (laughs) but he wrote it down right there. Highlights. That's my favorite part. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Have you read this? (laughs) Okay. What? Anyway. So Hamilton convinced Washington to move the capital from New York to D.C. Washington, D.C. is a compact city on the Potomac River bordering the states of Maryland and Virginia. There's too much history for us to even scratch the surface. The Mm -hmm. DMV does have a lot of black people, and the reason for that is D.C. is is very ethnically diverse. About Mm -hmm. 47% of the population is black. Washington has had a significant African-American population since the city's creation. Several neighborhoods are noted for their contributions to Black history and culture. Like numerous other border and northern cities in the first half of the 20th century, Washington received many Black migrants from the South in the Great Migration. African-Americans moved north for better education and job opportunities, as well as to escape legal segregation and lynchings. Government growth during World War II provided economic opportunities for African-Americans, too. In the post-war era, the percentage of African-Americans in the city steadily increased as its total population declined as a result of suburbanation. Um supported by federal highway construction and white flight. We've talked about that before. Um, that's when white people left all the neighborhoods because they were afraid black people were going <laughs> to flee and everything. Let's get out of here. Uh, the, the black- <laughs> yeah, but you know what? What's interesting is, okay, so there was, there was a great migration of black people moving north. North, in right. The, uh, right, in the, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Now, 
even a person like myself, I'm, I'm trying to flee racism. Um, and there are people like me who are migrating back to the South. We have family connections there, Mm -hmm. family connections there. And those areas where there's so much history for us and, and some, some really, um, thick, tight knit black communities where we can find safety and raise our kids there with good schools, the chance for our kids to have a black teacher in their life for once. Um, right. So, so there's this, there's there, the, the opposite, the, it's trending backwards. Back. So but, wow. uh, younger black people are moving South back looking for jobs in places. Yeah. yeah in places like hmm. Atlanta, um, Houston, um, Charlotte, North Carolina, Raleigh, those kinds of places. So wow. anyway, tangent, um <laughs> so but back then the back the black population included a strong middle and upper class. John Allen Muhammad, the ringleader in our case, had an intense drive to we will learn later in the story kill his ex-wife. So uh, uh she ended up uh she relocated to the DC area to get away from Muhammad uh because she had family ties there. So now we are going to get into the um killers early life. So take it away, Beth. John Allen Muhammad was born John Allen Williams in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to Ernest and Eva Williams, the fourth child of a Pullman train porter and an Antiguan immigrant. One of six children, he and his family moved to New Orleans when his mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. She died when he was three years old. Oh, that's really sad. It is. Yeah, we will refer to John Allen Muhammad here on out as Muhammad, just to simplify things, but consider how uh, easy it is to refer to him as a terrorist and a criminal because of his color and his last name. Um, Just think about that note uh, next time you watch the news. Uh, Moving on. After his mother's death, his father left, so Muhammad was mainly raised by his grandfather and an aunt, um, and it's been alleged that an uncle often beat him. He was described as a polite and well-liked individual. In August of 1978, Muhammad enlisted in the Louisiana Army National Guard at Baton Rouge as a combat engineer. In 1981, he married his childhood sweetheart, Carol Caglier. In 1982, Muhammad was introduced to Mildred Green by a friend in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Oh, sparks fly. Mm -hmm. Mildred was a beautiful young black woman, but she says that she was deeply shy and naive and still lived at home with her mother. Having narrowly escaped being raped at 16, she was also very weary of men. Muhammad on the other hand, was an outwardly confident National Guardsman with the ability to sweet-talk any girl who caught his eye. I think Mildred was also in the service. That's, I believe she said that. I actually heard her interviewed in a podcast. She oh, said okay. they were both in the service. I also wanted to touch on um, Muhammad joining the service. And I learned... Um, from my Garifuna Central American uh, grandmother's relatives, I was at her funeral around Christmas time, um, and older Garifuna Central American men that they specifically chose the USA military for the opportunity and security it provided. Immigrants can join the military in our country. Um, and many 
um, U.S.-born people of color and immigrant people of color take advantage of what the U.S. military can offer them. It's an opportunity yeah. for a steady job, steady employment, um, just a, a better way economically. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, Mildred and John Allen Muhammad had been dating for several weeks before she learned that he was still married to his childhood sweetheart, Carol, by whom Uh he had a son. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And they had a son Mm -hmm. named Lindbergh. But he assured her that they were on the verge of splitting up. And when he was posted to Washington State to differentiate it from Washington, D.C., um, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's confusing, but it's a whole different state. <laughs> <It can be. laughs> so she agreed to wait for his divorce to come through and then travel north to join him. By the way, I, I my mom still lives in Washington state. I went to high school there. My parents got divorced uh-huh. and then they got remarried to each other and decided oh, wow. to start a new life in Washington state. Uh, and basically I haven't been back there since I graduated high school. And then I returned for my father's funeral. Uh, that's how much I hate oh, man. the Pacific Northwest. Wow. Um, wow. I, I found it to be a very lonely place. It's very, uh, very white. I felt it was very racist and I actually yeah. never forgave. <laughs> I never forgave Washington state for it. So that's why I just never went back. Uh, yeah, so my mom's like, <laughs> she's like, uh, Wendy, um, what are the kids doing this summer? Are they going to come and uh, visit us? Hell no. I love you, mom. Just come <laughs> here to Arizona. I'm not taking my kids there. Anyway, <laughs> um, where were we? Okay. So they were married in March 1988. As the months and years passed, Mildred discovered her husband was not uh, the contended self-assured man that she thought him to be. For one thing, he was illiterate. So she had to teach him to read and help him bluff his way through military exams. In 1991, he served in the Gulf War with a company that dismantled Iraqi chemical warfare rockets. While in the U.S. Army, Muhammad was trained as a mechanic, a truck driver, and a specialist metal worker. He qualified with the Army's standard rifle, the M16, earning the expert rifleman's badge. This rating is the Army's highest of three levels of basic rifle marksmanship for a soldier. So pretty good. So clearly he was uh, he was a pretty smart, um, you know, intelligent, capable guy. skilled, yeah. capable guy. Um, he had a varied Army career as a combat engineer, uh, a specialty that involves everything from building roads and removing mines to repairing vehicles and setting up water supplies. A fellow soldier said Muhammad was considered a proficient mechanic, particularly on Abrams tanks and Bradley fighting vehicles. Muhammad was honorably discharged from the army on April 24, 1994, after 17 years of service with the rank of sergeant. For his service in the army, Muhammad received the following awards, Army Service Medal, National Defense Service Medal, Overseas Ribbon, Non-Commissioned Officers Professional Development Ribbon, and Army Achievement Medal. Pretty good. That's a lot of ribbons. Yeah, that's a mm-hmm. lot of awards. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah, it's a lot of awards. Neighbors, <laughs> neighbors and others who knew Muhammad in the 1990s described him as quiet, 
and a disciplined man, a Muslim convert and auto mechanic who showed no sign of a violent streak. Bob Bianchi lived down the street from the family between 1994 and 2000 in comfortable Huapacio Estates, a community built around a natural lake in Tacoma. <sighs> Tacoma. That's, uh, that's Bianchi. The place, huh? <laughs> that's one of the places. One of the places. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Bianchi. <laughs> Bianchi, 47. But actually, Tacoma, uh, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. So I was a, um, I was my high school's second black varsity cheer cheerleader in in a 40 year period. ever <laughs> and ever yeah okay okay yeah. so this is, and, and, I, and I, I i'm not i'm not shy I, I so the high school i went to was in spokane so i was the second black varsity spokane washington's on the east side and tacoma and seattle are on the west side and we would go to right. tacoma a lot for like cheer competitions and i remember just my mouth watering because i would i was so happy to see other black cheerleaders and they were yeah. all from Tacoma and Seattle and I was like oh my god you guys have big butts and big thighs just like me and braids oh my god <laughs> so yeah so maybe if I, maybe if I had lived on the on the other side of the state maybe in I wouldn't Seattle, feel so probably yeah, yeah maybe I wouldn't feel so so salty about the state of Washington but yeah. sorry I didn't so I do. Uh, <laughs> so, so there anyway, we go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, Bianchi 47 called him a very pleasant neighbor who remained kind of private over the years. Hey, you called me private. <laughs> Oh, oh, do uh -oh. I need to be worried? <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> yeah, Privacy McPriverson's Beth here. <laughs> Just found so, out she, where she lives. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Muhammad started up a mobile auto repair business, which he ran oh, with cool. the help of Mildred, who kept the books. And I understand at first they did really well. Okay. In addition, he operated a karate school with Felix Strozier. Strozier mm. noticed that whenever Muhammad came into the room, his son, John Jr., would always come to attention military style, which indicated oh. to him that Muhammad was a stern disciplinarian. Yeah. And well, my I mean, my dad was a, a black man from uh the south uh, or you know with southern roots and a military right. guy and and uh we he expected us to do the same so right right uh that's not too unusual but wait not it unusual gets worse. Yeah. <laughs> um john <laughs> john allen and mildred had converted to islam together while mildred muhammad saw religion as a means for peaceful social change her husband was convinced that america's injustices could be overcome only by subversion and violence in 1987, at the age of 27, he joined the Nation of Islam. In 2001, he changed his surname from Williams to Muhammad. The Nation of Islam, also referred to as NOI, is an mm -hmm. African-American movement and organization that combines elements of traditional Islam with Black nationalist ideas and race-based theology. According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, an American nonprofit legal advocacy organization specializing in civil rights and public interest litigation, 
Since its founding in 1930, the Nation of Islam, or NOI, has grown into one of the wealthiest and best-known organizations in Black America. Its Mm -hmm. theology of innate Black superiority over whites and the racist, anti-Semitic, and anti-LGBTQ rhetoric of its leaders have earned the NOI a position in the ranks of organized hate. Yeah, and I've actually uh, listened to interviews on podcasts of uh, representatives from the Southern Poverty Law Center who say that the only reason, like they they don't they they don't consider all the other things that the NOI does, just the fact that they uh, are perceived to hate white people. So that's and why they're perceived Jews as a and, hate and group. gays and Jews, yeah. right? Yeah, so they don't. Th- so let me get into it. Okay. Okay. Welcome get to into Culture it. Corner. Yeah, let's welcome to Culture Corner with Wendy and Beth. Get a pillow. Um, the <laughs> Nation of Islam, <laughs> as Beth said, is is a black religious group, an American black religion religious group. We have to remember that Islam is a religion of peace practiced by millions of people. Um, the NOI was started by Elijah Muhammad in the 30s or 40s, and then in the 50s, Malcolm Little, aka Malcolm X, joined. And then let's not forget about Colin Kaepernick's predecessor, Cassius Clay, a.k.a. Muhammad Ali. Um, the face of the group is Louis Farrakhan, and he is quite problematic. I do not disagree with anybody who says that. Uh, he is problematic for his um, positions on patriarchy, anti-Semitism, um, black superiority over specifically white people. However, we also have to note the work that the NOI has done in trying to stabilize Black communities and stabilizing infrastructure, especially in communities that have been ravaged by white supremacy. They have a presence in prison, um, and their goal is to stabilize and support people within the prisons and also when they get out, um, giving them jobs and a place to go. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life, so it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps, but there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Now, we are huge advocates for mental health here at Fruitlands HQ. Oh, yes. And we have both used therapy throughout our lives, including BetterHelp, and especially in these past several years to help us deal with challenging times, Mm -hmm. challenging thoughts, feelings, and experiences. Amen. Yes. And uh, now I had a recent, you know, conversation with my therapist. She was saying, sometimes it's just good to talk and get some perspective. You don't yeah. have to go to a therapist just because stuff is wrong. So Right, right. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And some people get really anxious about that. So Oh, yes. And it is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash fruit. That's betterhelp.com slash fruit. Today's episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. It was a night like any other. We just finished a live show of the podcast at Madison Square Garden. It was nice to see Megan and Harry. You know, so nice of them to come. And then we told the pilot, hey, gas up the PJ. We out of here. Wait, gas up the PJ? Megan and Harry? Shh, shh, shh. 
Just go with it, okay? Okay, okay. So, Wendy, we gassed up the PJ, and then what? Well, <laughs> while we were on the PJ, that's private jet for regular folks. I was wondering. We, we were up in the clouds, scoring some quality time with Best Fiends. It was incredible. And the good news is, I'm on level 393. Right on. <laughs> yes, it sounds incredible. But if mm-hmm. your head's in the clouds like Wendy, in an imaginary <laughs> private jet with Megan and Harry, or your feet are firmly planted on the ground at work or in line at the grocery store. One thing is true. Best Fiends is just plain fun. Mm, It is true. Now, Best Fiends is a free to download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs. I'm sorry. I was just looking at this funny text from Harry. Anyway, power up your favorite fiends to new levels for even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. With offline play, Wendy's favorite, you'll Mm -hmm. never be stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection. Download your favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Um, they do have a black superiority ideology. Um, they are registered, as Beth said, as, as, as a hate group by the SPLC. But um, to black people, it's really not that simple. Al Sharpton, Jim Brown, and Mr. Farrakhan and Jesse Jackson are the black dudes that are called upon to be the voices of black people in times and places where there was a traumatic event or strife or examples of black oppression. Um, And one of the things that the U.S. has done throughout history is systematically demonizing black groups and black leaders. Um, the most recent one I can think of is Colin Kaepernick or that, that, that right. uh, Waffle House, that wa- the dude at Waffle House who saved all those people who was a, bl- a black dude. It's, it's easy for the media and authorities to demonize anything black. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, black people understand the critiques of the NOI, but we also understand the, the good that they have done for black lives. And given how complicated life is as a black person in the United States can accept the complexities for what they are in a way that maybe white America, AKA trash ass Megan McCain on the view uh, a couple weeks ago uh, towards Tamika Mallory um, can't understand. So if anybody is not familiar with that exchange, Google, Google Tamika Mal- Mallory on the view and, and you will see I mean, Megan McCain was just like, well, Tamika, because Tamika Mallory, Mallory was doing the, the, she was in charge of the women's march. And Megan mm-hmm. McCain was trying to say like, well, you're not, you're not being very welcoming to um, conservative uh, women. Uh, conservative women want to be a part of this. And you ride with Louis Farrakhan. And Tamika was trying to explain what I just said. Like, it's really not that simple. Like, I denounce his uh, his views on hating anybody, but I also have to recognize that he's the organization has done a, re- a lot of really good things in the black community. And Megan right. McCain was just refusing to accept <laughs> to her accept answer. That, yeah. So yeah. So uh, allyship can exist uh, through. or or between the nation of Islam, women's groups, Jewish groups, LGBTQ groups with empathy and solidarity. I, I believe, I really do believe that. Um, And uh, another thing, black people have to compartmentalize all the time. And one of the examples I wanted to lay out to you was DL Hughley on a show the other day was asked, you know, how do you continue to listen to Michael Jackson and R Kelly's music 
after all the horrible things that they did, you know, how can you sing these songs? And after all the terrible shit that they did. And, um, he was like the same way I can sing the fucking national anthem. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, there's, there's different degrees and levels and we just sort of have to maneuver our way as best we can without being with, we're all just trying not to be awful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so black people have to compartmentalize on a constant basis and, um, the way that black people in general view the NOI is no different. So, Oh boy, I'm so sorry that went so long, but (laughs) that's all right. And and that's, that's, that's totally fair. Um, I, I get that. Um, the, the only issue I have with it is it makes race relations more difficult. Um, when you're having somebody who's saying, uh, one, one race is superior to another either way. Um, Mm -hmm. there's, there's pretty much no conversation after that, you know, (laughs) what, what are you going to say? (laughs) Well, but, but I think that younger progressives understand that we can have a conversation moving forward on, on, you know, we can take the good that the NOI has done and we can denounce the bad things that they have done. And we can sort of move, move the the conversation using the good elements forward. Yeah. I just think it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. I just wish it wasn't part of it. Yeah. I, you know what? I, I agree. I, I, I wish that those negative things were not a part of it as well. Um, Cause but- I, I was just thinking about like uh, the feminist movement, um, uh-huh. Feminists, uh, you know, j- just saying that women are equal to men, like uh, we're not the same, but we should be uh-huh. treated equal. And yeah. uh, that you had the militant feminists saying women are better than men. And then all of a sudden uh-huh. feminist became a bad word. It's just it just doesn't help. Well, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't help. But then you also had, uh, I know, uh, Susan B. Anthony, uh, I get excited when I find a Susan B. Anthony coin, but we can't forget that she was super racist. She said yeah. no black man is going to get a voting right before a woman. Um, and, and, the, and the black feminists around her were like, uh, hey, sis, like, what about Hello. us? And she was like, uh, <laughs> screw you guys. Uh, this is all, let's just yeah, get the white all, ladies first. Okay. So, yeah, you know. Life so, is complicated is, is what it, it boils really down is to. Life is complicated. Yeah. 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 There is no simple answer. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of people make the mistake of, of looking at things in black and white, and it's not mm-hmm. black and white. Uh, life is complicated. It isn't. It's very complicated. So we have to take the good where we can find it, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where were All right, we? Back into the story. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Muhammad had returned from the military with severe PTSD and this affected his marriage with Mildred. He became abusive, unfaithful and threatened to kill Mildred regularly. And by the late 1990s, their marriage was falling apart, and Mildred filed for divorce in 1999. When asked later why she didn't leave him sooner, she said that she was simply playing the role to which most Deep South Black girls were raised, that of a dutiful wife. Mm. 
In February and March of 2000, Mildred filed domestic violence petitions against her estranged husband. A Pierce County judge granted her request for an uncontested permanent restraining order. She complained of bizarre behavior, such as the morning Muhammad claimed that he had tapped her phones to destroy her. Another day, he forced his way into her house to see his son, John Jr., who was sick prompting an emergency 911 call. The next day, he returned to the house. John came over to inform me that he will not let me raise our children. His demeanor is such that it is a threat to me, she wrote in a petition for order of protection. I am still fearful of him. Yeah, she described in the podcast really chilling things, like uh, he would break into her home and then just stand at the foot of her bed watching Mm. her sleep. And oh then God. she would wake up and he would be like, I'm going to kill you. And, but then he would Holy leave. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, oh I know. God. What? Yeah. Uh, so on a Sunday in March 2000, Muhammad took the three children for a weekend visit, telling his wife that he would keep them overnight and take them to school in the morning. Instead, he took the children and disappeared, taking $521 from the bank account and borrowing $1,100 from a business partner, leaving Mildred penniless. Muhammad took his children to Antigua, where his mother was from. He changed the kids' names so that Mildred couldn't find them. There they lived in a hovel without running water, and Muhammad eked out a living by fixing documents for islanders who wanted to migrate illegally to the U.S. He also began a relationship with the mother of Lee Malvo. So here's our second character, Lee Boyd Malvo. Uh, His name in formal documents, though he has sometimes been known as uh, John Lee Malvo, was born on February 18, 1985, in Kensington, Jamaica, to Leslie Malvo and Una James. Uh, He spent his early childhood in Jamaica. Mino no. Uh, a classmate described him as studious, polite, and well dressed, but said that he did not make any friends. Teachers remember him as a conscientious A grade pupil. Around the year 2000, Malvo joined his mother, Una James, in Antigua, but Una soon left for Florida with Malvo, and Malvo attended Cypress Lake High School in Fort Myers, and Muhammad moved back to Washington with his children. Meanwhile, Mildred was hiding in a women's refuge, distraught at losing her family and terrified of Muhammad. Um, she continued to fight to find her children and get them back, but it would be 18 months before U.S. authorities traced the children when Muhammad attempted to claim child welfare in Washington. Now, she, I mean, she went all out. She, like, hired a private investigator. Wow. She she was working really hard to get these kids back. Wow. So the children were reunited with their mother and desperate to start a new life with her family. Mildred fled across the country with her children in September of 2001. She settled near her sister in the Maryland suburbs, just outside of Washington, D.C. In October of 2001, Malvo left Florida and moved to Bellingham, Washington, to to join Muhammad. They lived together at the Lighthouse Mission, a Christian homeless shelter overlooking Puget Sound, about 130 miles north of Tacoma and 20 miles from the Canadian border. 
Muhammad told people Malvo was his son. Malvo's biological father, Leslie Malvo, a building contractor in Kingston, Kingston, Jamaica, later called his son a nice kid, though he said he hadn't seen him for four years. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. And that kind of tells you what kind of relationship they had. Right. Not a very good one. Nope. In Bellingham, school officials were concerned that they had no records of Malvo's previous schooling and asked police to check into it. When a Bellingham police officer questioned Malvo on December 18th, Malvo said he was from Jamaica and was living at the shelter with his father. Mohammed was also in trouble for shoplifting, and the two disappeared before police could follow up. Okay, so now we're going to get into the juicy timeline. So, um, before the shooting, which have been referred to as the DC sniper attacks, Muhammad and Malvo committed similar crimes across the country that were not linked until way later. Um, these have been referred to as the preliminary crimes, quote unquote. On February 16th, 2002, 21-year-old Kenya Cook was shot and killed at the front door of her aunt's home in Tacoma, Washington. Cook's aunt, Isla Nichols, had been good friends with John Allen Muhammad's ex-wife, Mildred, and had encouraged her to seek a divorce. There is circumstantial but not ballistic evidence that the killer was Lee Malvo. Hmm. On March 19, 2002, Jerry Taylor, 60 years old, was killed by a single shot to the chest, fired from long range as he practiced chip shots at a Tucson, Arizona golf course. Muhammad's sister lived near the golf course, and he was visiting her during the shooting. On August 1st, 2002, John Gaeta, 51, was changing a tire at a parking lot in Hammond, Louisiana, and was shot in the neck. The bullet exited through Gaeta's back, and he pretended to be dead while the shooter stole his wallet. He survived. Woo! That's good. Yeah. I mean, not that he got shot, but that he survived. He did survive. Yeah. (laughs) On September, (laughs) uh, I don't know why I'm laughing. Sorry. I don't either. Uh, (laughs) Inappropriate laughter. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, boy. (laughs) Guilty. Um. (laughs) <laughs> on September 5th, 2002, at 10.30 p.m., Paula Larufa, a 55-year-old pizzeria owner, was shot six times at close range while locking up his Italian restaurant in Clinton, Maryland. Uh, Larufa survived the shooting. Wow. And his laptop and computer was found in John Allen Muhammad's car when he and Malvo were arrested. Wow. On September 11th, Muhammad and another man, Nathaniel Osborne, purchased a blue 1990 Chevrolet Caprice with 147 miles from SureShot Auto Sales Incorporated in Trenton, New Jersey. They paid $250 for the car. That is a cheap car. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, shout out to bargain shopping. Um, <laughs> September 14, <laughs> September 14, 2002, Benny Oberoi, 22, was shot and wounded outside the Hillendale Beer and Wine Store in Silver Spring, Maryland. The shooting is linked by circumstances, witnesses, and location of the alleged snipers, but not ballistics. On September 15, 2002, Mohammed Rashid was injured in a shooting at a 
Brandywine Maryland Liquor Store. On September 21st, 2002, at 12.15 a.m., 41-year-old Million A. Oldemarium was fatally shot in the head and back with a 22 caliber pistol in Atlanta, Georgia. Oldemarium was helping the owner of a Sammy's package store close up for the night when the shooting occurred. Police found a fingerprint on a weapon magazine in the parking lot. I have two things to say here. Tell me. First of all, do you know about package stores? No. I assumed it was like a dollar store or a Walmart. Nope. On the East Coast, uh, liquor stores are called package stores. Um, What? Yeah. uh, When I lived in Connecticut, you had to go to the package store to buy liquor. Um, They did not have liquor in the grocery store. So you had to go to a separate store to buy it. And they were called package okay. stores. I don't know why. We called them packies. <laughs> packies. Wait, wait, wait. Go so to are the package packy. stores just liquor stores or can you get other things there? Just liquor, alcohol, uh, beer. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So okay. it's just a liquor store. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, <laughs> okay. However you do that. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty and good. The- <laughs> By the way, I, <laughs> I was going to say, I, I've been doing that at work lately. So shout out to not being professional. But um, <laughs> there's this like straight, like straight edge white dude who I think used to even be a cop who like is all about like, oh, and he watches Blackish. You know what I'm talking about? I do. I know exactly who you're talking okay. about. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I like he him. He was so into it. Yeah, I like him too. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's so all right. Um, so the, the first, the first, first thing is about the package store. Yeah, they're just liquor stores. Yeah. And then the, okay. the second thing was the how, how police found a fingerprint on a weapon magazine in the parking lot. That's a like a, a cartridge for a weapon, right? For the gun. Yes. And yes. Um, <laughs> I read in one article that it was a page from a weapon weapons magazine like <laughs> Malvo sitting Wait out there minute. reading a magazine like reading about weapons. weapons. Oh my god. So the, so the publication clearly got it wrong. Yeah, they're like, uh, what? what? He's reading ma- magazines in He's front of the out there in front of his, reading like reading and committing crimes. Yep, yep, that's what, what he the said. Fuck? Get out of here. You know what? You know what? Get the fuck out of here. My buttons aren't working. Come on. Oh my God. Hang on. There you go. There you go. Okay. So that's complete fuckery fuckery. on that. that, Yeah. On that publications. I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) Oh, this has been fun. Okay. So what's next? Oh, here we go. Okay, so 19 hours later, on the same day, Claudine Parker, a 52-year-old liquor store clerk in Montgomery, Alabama, was shot in the chest and killed during a robbery. Her co-worker, a 24-year-old Kelly Adams, was critically wounded with a shot through the neck but survived. Oh, yes, amen. Later, ballistics are a match to a Bushmaster .223 rifle, and eyewitness accounts link the DC snipers. There we go. We got them. We got it. On September 23, <laughs> 2002, at 6.30 p.m., 45-year-old Hong M. Ballinger was shot in the head. 
and killed with a Bushmaster rifle in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Muhammad and Malvo were later linked to the killing. So what we see now is is the killers are making their way across the United States. Now we are going to get into the D.C. sniper attack specifically. This is when the authorities realized that they had a killer on the loose. So take it away, Beth. So the first sniper attack occurred on October 2nd, 2002 at 520 p.m. when a shot was fired through the window of a Michael's craft store in Aspen Hill. The bullet narrowly missed Ann Chapman, a cashier at the store. Since no one was injured, no serious alarms were raised. However, approximately one hour later at 6.30 p.m., James Martin, a 55-year-old program analyst at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, was shot and killed in the parking lot of a shopper's food warehouse grocery store in Wheaton. On the morning of October 3rd, four people were shot dead within a span of approximately two hours in Aspen Hill and other nearby areas in Montgomery County. Another was killed that evening in the Tacoma neighborhood of the District of Columbia. Not Tacoma, Washington, but in the neighborhood of District Columbia. <laughs> it's confusing, but yeah. Just to be clear, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> At 7.41 a.m., James L. Buchanan, a 39-year-old landscaper known as Sonny, was shot dead near Rockville, Maryland. Buchanan was shot while moving the grass at the Fitzgerald Auto Mills. Let me see that sentence. <laughs> Let me see the whole the thing okay. He was moving, moving the grass. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't know. Just some, moving some activities it. white people do, I don't know. So I, I don't know. White people, they're funny. Yeah. I don't know. White people funny are funny. They do weird things. I don't know. My husband, my husband, my old whitey's out here like blowing leaves. Why? He's well, moving why the leaves. He's moving the leaves, whatever. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, and digging holes and stuff. I don't know. Anyway, uh, okay, so <clears throat> at 7.41 a.m., James L. Buchanan, a 39-year-old landscaper known as Sonny, was shot dead near Rockville, Maryland. Buchanan was shot while mowing the grass at the Fitzgerald Auto, Auto Malls. At 8.12 a.m., 54-year-old part-time taxi driver Prem Kumar Walikar was killed in Aspen Hill in Montgomery County while pumping his gas in his taxi at a mobile station. At 8.37 p.m., Sarah Ramos, a 34-year-old babysitter and housekeeper, was killed at the Leisure World Shopping Center in Norbeck as she was sitting on a bench reading a book. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. That's sad. At 9.58 a.m. in what was to be the last killing that morning, 25-year-old Lori Ann Lewis Rivera was killed while vacuuming her Dodge Caravan at a shell station in Kensington, Maryland. Oh, no. Yeah, these are all sad. Yeah, very much so. The snipers then waited until 9.20 p.m. before shooting Pascal Charlotte, a 72-year-old retired carpenter, while he was walking on Georgia Avenue at Calmia Road in Washington, D.C. Charlotte died less than an hour later. In each shooting, the victims were killed by a single bullet fired from the same distance, and in each case, the killer struck uh, and then vanished. Fear quickly spread throughout the region as news of the shooting spread. Local residents frightened by the seemingly random nature of the shootings, which crossed racial, gender, and even, we'll learn, age uh, 
because they they killed a they or they shot a 13 year old boy who who lived which was good and um socioeconomic lines crouched behind their cars while pumping gas and avoided outdoor activities so schools held recess indoors and sports teams canceled outdoor practices the killers also left a series of cryptic clues at crime scenes, including tarot cards and notes, and they even called the police hotline, apparently trying to engage investigators in a dialogue. Yeah, but they hung up on them. So uh, that is where we're going to leave it today. That's the end of it for this episode. Tune in next week for the rest of the story. So now we're going to get into how not to get schmurdered. <clears throat> so today's episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. It was a night like any other. We just finished a live show of the podcast at Madison Square Garden. It was nice to see Megan and Harry. You know, so nice of them to come. And then we told the pilot, hey, gas up the PJ. We out of here. Wait, gas up the PJ? Megan and Harry? <laughs> Just go with it, okay? Okay, okay. So, Wendy, we gassed up the PJ, and then what? Well, <laughs> while we were on the PJ, that's private jet for regular folks. I was wondering. We, we were up in the clouds, scoring some quality time with Best Fiends. It was incredible. And the good news is, I'm on level 393. Right on. <laughs> yes, it sounds incredible. But if mm -hmm. your head's in the clouds like Wendy, in an imaginary <laughs> private jet with Megan and Harry, or your feet are firmly planted on the ground, ground at work or in line at the grocery store. One thing is true. Best Fiends is just plain fun. Mm, it is true. Now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect, so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs. I'm sorry, I was just looking at this funny text from Harry. Anyway, power up your favorite fiends to new levels for even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. With offline play, Wendy's favorite, you'll mm -hmm. never be stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection. Download your favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Oh, I like it. Doing drugs. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well done. Sorry. <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. But in my mind, this is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. What do you got, Wendy? Okay. So this is a full, a full lineup of tips. So please get your pencils out. Um, keep your head on a swivel. Pay attention to the news. If authorities are out here saying it's not safe to be out, don't be out. Listen to them. <laughs> Identify... <laughs> identify safe havens you can retreat to in the event of a terror attack. Um, just, I guess, 
that, that's just something I always unfortunately keep it in the back all of your have mind. Sort of yeah. Thinking about. Yeah. Um, be aware w- of where police stations are, hotels, hospitals, places where you can go in the event that you need to get a, a night's a good night's rest in the event you need to evacuate uh, or uh, c- contact authorities or um, seek medical care wherever you are on vacation or at home. Um, use caution around uh, religious holidays. Many religiously motivated terrorists schedule large attacks to coincide with their religious holidays. So exercise, I got this from uh, the internet. So, um, this is not coming from me. This is just a tip I found. Um, exercise extra vigilance um, during these times. And if possible, avoid public areas. Again, if possible. And um, keep an eye out for shifty people. Lastly, I have a theory about saving the world. <laughs> and I'm going to do it in this podcast. Um, be kind and treat people with dignity. Don't hate on people who speak a different language or who have a different skin color, accent, or religion, or dress differently than you. I heard on one podcast about um, the conflict in the Middle East recently that uh, mentioned that everyone in these peace, every single time they engage in these peace talks, they always failed. And the reason was because the agreements lacked an element of dignity for each side. So it's probably oversimplifying, could be, but what would happen to the bully who was showed love in high school or the Muslim kid who uh, you decided to sit with at lunch one day because nobody else wanted to because they were afraid or didn't know any better? Um, there's power in kindness, love, and dignity. That's something serial killers are not shown in their younger days um, yeah. or adult lives. And um, we know what happens. So, yeah. Yeah, so building off of that, uh, there's an article that was written last year about what to do if you witness Islamophobic harassment. And I think it applies to harassment of anyone. And uh, Mm -hmm. this is not a tip of how not to get murdered, but how to help other people not get murdered. (laughs) Oh, yes, let's do it. So they're talking about verbal harassment. If someone is physically attacking another person, call 911. (laughs) Or as my daughter says, call 911 whistle. So, uh, this strategy is based on something called non complementary behavior, a concept in psychology which aims to disrupt an oppressive connection a potential attacker is attempting to establish with the target. We'll link the article in the show notes, but here are the basic guidelines. So talk to the victim, ignore the attacker. Basically, uh, go over to the victim, sit down and start talking. Talk about Mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. random. Like, uh, did -hmm. you see the Transformers movie or, you know, whatever you can think of. I like your scarf, you know, whatever, whatever you can Uh, think of. Yeah, yeah. Just something Uh, random. When are we getting our nails done together? Yes. Just start engaging them in conversation. Continue to Uh engage uh, the person in conversation building a safe space as you ignore the attacker do not talk to the attacker um because Mm. once you engage with the attacker it's just gonna escalate so just talk to the person uh who's being attacked uh like you're just having a conversation stay with them Mm -hmm. until the attacker leaves and then escort them to a neutral area 
I love this this tip. Um, mm-hmm. There, not too long ago, was an incident on, I believe, a train where a white nationalist um, hate m- mongrel um, yeah. attacked um, two. Uh, or I, he k- ended up killing these women of color. Oh my god! I think they were in hijab, um, and oh I don't. I, he had a knife. He had he had he had weapons. So it it might have been really difficult for somebody to step in to just because of like fear, that. right? Of, yeah, of yeah. getting hurt. Yeah. To do something like that. But, um, in the event there maybe are no weapons, this, I really, I really like these tips. I, I, yeah. um, I think, I also think this is something we could, um, teach maybe our kids to do. Yeah. Like if you yeah. see somebody bullied, just yeah, go up just to, sit just by go up and to, start talking. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Hey, Hey bro, you cool? You want my peanut butter and jelly? Oh, <laughs> turns out I got two pieces. <laughs> you know, what? I don't know. I don't, I, I just think this is something we need to exercise and continue to exercise. And especially you're, you're right. This was, I this totally was a agree. great tip. Yeah. Thank you, Beth. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so now we're going to get into some, uh, serial killer and crime news. Take it away, Beth. So the crime news that I have today, um, I touched on a little bit earlier, the college admissions bribery scandal. (laughs) So, so this might seem like just a goofy story. uh, And we all feel a little schadenfreude at seeing these rich people getting arrested, but it really illustrates the deep racial and economic disparities in our country. Boy, does it ever. Yeah. And there are people of color getting jail time just for listing a relative's address as their own to get their kids into a decent public school so that they can get a Talk basic about it. education. Amen. And here's these rich, mostly white folks, bribing their kids uh-huh. way into Ivy League colleges. I don't know for sure, but I bet they will get very little, if any, jail time. Mm. It's infuriating. <laughs> Oh yes. Yeah. My so, inner black my inner black Tyrone is furious. <laughs> anyway, there's an episode on The Daily, which is a New York Times podcast on this story, and it's really good. Um, they talk about uh all the implications and I I don't think mm-hmm. they talked about um the the aspect that um there are parents who are in jail for listing their relatives address as their own i don't think they got into that but they talk about they did not i listened to the, i listened to the daily they did not mention that yeah they didn't but, mention that uh, but they talked about why these parents did this and they talked about mm-hmm. the disparities and it, it it was pretty good uh it didn't cover everything mm-hmm. but it was pretty good so we'll link we'll link that in the show notes we should we should we will um if you do want to know more about um, this mother, th- these kinds of black mothers' stories who uh, used the fake addresses in order to get their kids to go to a, a, a well-performing school. Which is really common. People do it all the fucking time. People do it all the time. White people um, there do is, it too. Yeah. Yes. Everybody does it because don't we all, we all want the best for We just want our kids to have a good education what we kind of have in common with rich people is we all do want the best for our kids. It's just, we don't always get the, we don't all, we don't have the same means to go about it. So yeah. we have to just yeah. do the best with what we got. There is um, a documentary about lying. 
and I it's on Netflix. I want to I want to say it's Why We Lie or The History of Lying. It might be a Freakonomics a uh, documentary. Uh-huh. I'm gonna figure it out, um, and then I'll, I'll I'll link it in the show notes. Um, but you they interview one of these moms who did um i think she did 5 years in federal prison for Holy doing shit. the fake address thing to get her kids into into a better school that is such bullshit it's infuriating yeah it is the the documentary's angle is about what people how how people lie and why people lie so it doesn't really get into the race thing very much um or uh the 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 college scandal at all but um i think it's it's worth looking at i mean um i was aware of this happening as a be before the news story broke this is not the first time that that have people have committed this? fraud yeah. in order to to, to yeah. get their kids ahead yeah. Um, and I, I am just looking forward to see if justice will be, um, weighted equally towards, um, it won't. <laughs> Felicity Huffman and um, Becky. It won't, it, it won't. won't, I know it won't, but just maybe? interested to see what happens. Know. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Yeah. There's also somebody shared in our Facebook group, uh, uh, a homeless black woman who wanted her kids to go to any school and just used an address, I think of a business or something. And oh, wow. she went to jail too. Holy shit. So, um, you know, uh, things aren't looking so great. Betsy DeVos, where you at? Are you going to help us out with this? <laughs> no, she's not. She don't give a shit. Uh, she <laughs> might be busy doing other things. I don't know. Uh, but anybody, uh, anybody who knows Betsy DeVos, maybe ask she's, her what she she's thinks She's promoting about charter schools. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but... Look, I I can't hate on charter schools either. Um because as a as a I'm going to say maybe middle class. I'm not poor. I'm not I'm not destitute. Uh we we's all right over here in the Wendy Williams house. We's we we's going to be all right. But my <laughs> kids do go to a charter school because the school up the street is very low performing. Yeah. Um. And now, so we're we're sort of. Well, do you know why? Uh, why it's low performing? <laughs> yeah. Because there's so many damn exactly charter why. schools. There's so, there's so many charter schools, and that's where the money goes. That's where the money goes. And but, uh, it the charter school thing felt really good when we first started it, but it doesn't feel very good anymore. We're actually um, uh, going to take our kids out of this school. Because remember, I think I told you my kid yeah. was called the N word. Yep. And we gave them all these resources to try to like t- turn this into. And a they didn't do anything. Nobody's done. Nobody nope. has done anything. Not surprised. And then my kid keeps getting into trouble. And I've talked about this before. Kids of color in general, especially when they have a white teacher, anything that they do is like they get in um, trouble for perceived yeah. perceived as violent or yeah. um improper behavior. troublemakers. Yeah. My son gets in trouble a lot and it drives me fucking nuts. And um uh, so so we are going to our plan is to get my kids out of this charter school that we thought was so great in the beginning and and send them to the public school that's in our neighborhood. Now, uh the, the reason why I'm comfortable with this is we have the resources so that if education education-wise my son may not be getting all of all of what he needs in this public school that we're paying taxes for, we have the resources. He goes. We pay for tutoring 
two hours a day, four days a week for him. Um, so we have the means to get him the extra resources so that he can succeed. And eventually all of the resources we're throwing at him will benefit the school and the right. kids around him. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, I, charter schools it's make a, me mad too. Like, just, just <laughs> like the Chick Fil A thing, it's complicated. Yeah, just like the Chick Fil A, it's complicated. So, yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, <laughs> hashtag Chick Fil A. Uh, so, okay, so now we're gonna move into the part of our show where we uh, shout out any con- content by people of color, any marginalized groups, LGBTQ people. Um people of color or any true crime goodies. So you go ahead, Beth. So I'm just going to shout out an article that I read recently called how Inuit parents teach kids to control their anger. I'm always interested in how other cultures do things. Uh, Cause I believe that we can always learn new things from them. Uh, other cultures. And mm-hmm. yeah. So anyway, uh, Inuit's, don't use corporal punishment. They don't use timeouts or scolding. None of that. What? Yeah, they have a philosophy that when a child is acting out, they're upset about something and it's up to you to figure out what it is. And when you yell at children, you're just teaching them to be angry. And also they, they feel like when you're yelling, you're acting like a child. You're being very (gasps) childish. Okay. And also parents who control their own anger are helping their children learn to do the same because kids learn emotional regulation from us, their parents. So Inuits use storytelling to keep their kids in line. Um, Reading the article, I don't, I don't know about the stories they tell because they seem kind of (laughs) scary. About monsters in the ocean and stuff. Ah. Oh, God. (laughs) But I did do something similar with my kids, although I can't say I didn't yell and that I didn't lose my temper because I did. It's difficult. You're a single mom. Come on. on. You did the damn thing, okay? (laughs) But I did tell them uh, what could happen if they did something. Like if you run into the street, you might get hit by a car, that kind of thing. Uh, just relaying possible uh-huh. consequences of their actions so that they can understand rather than just telling them they can't do something or punishing them for disobeying when, without telling them why. And I think that's what, right. what they were get what they're getting at in the article was, um, makes a know, lot of sense. Yeah. 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 I do that with my kids. Um, like if my kids want to meet a new dog that they haven't met before or they don't know, I will say, would you like to see pictures of what happens to a suck a kid's face on Google <laughs> images if they meet a dog that they don't know? Or would you like to see images of a skin disease if you touch something that you shouldn't or don't wash your hands? Or would you like to see images? Like Google images is like the annual It's a nightmare, man. It's a nightmare. For <laughs> yeah. sure. And my kids, I... I, they always say no, and then they'd be good. It's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, just just knowing what the consequences could be, you know, just understanding that there's consequences to everything that you right. do. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Do you want to see a video? <laughs> I, I, I could go on like there's on no and point on in getting on. mad do you want to see the google video i'll just show you right now 
<laughs> so there was also a recent This American Life episode called Unconditional Love. One of the segments was about a kid who was adopted from a Romanian orphanage. And it was about the difficulties that the family had in dealing with this kid because he had an attachment disorder. Uh, basically, both of these stories talked a lot about giving children love and how love helps kids form healthy emotional lives. And we talk a lot about serial killers and how they're deeply flawed human beings with anger and other emotional issues. So I thought it applied. Um, so yeah, basically give your kids lots of love folks. And that's it. <laughs> I, I think, thank you so much, Beth. You know what? Wait a minute. What's that? Yes. Give your kids <laughs> lots of love. Yeah. Lots of love. Lots of love. So thank you, Beth. That that was an awesome wreck. Thank you so much. So, <laughs> so, hey guys, it's been fun. But where can the people find us? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. That is correct. Uh, this <laughs> is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Through terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events, on our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life 
on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.